Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harris. I'm Adam Pranica. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Big news. Big, big news. Okay. I mean, breaking news in the Marin. We don't often yeah. do it like that. Well, I figured this is the time. This, for some reason, is the episode I've chosen. Wow. All right. <laughs> What's it going to be? You know this news already. The friends of DeSoto don't, and I uh, wanted to reveal it here and now. I am going to be a father. God damn it! <laughs> oh! <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> You're having a kid? <laughs> They're going to allow that? <laughs> Who signed off on this? <laughs> Ripley going about as crazy as Darwin does when, uh, <laughs> when I flip out. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're expecting a little baby in uh, in August. A little baby. Wow, Ben. I've said very little to you about this up until now. And so for the first <laughs> time, let me say congratulations. Oh, thanks, bud. To you both. Yeah. We're very, very happy about it. It was not a surprise. We we meant to do it. Yeah. So how, uh, I mean, how did that work? <sighs> hey, I'm going to. Maybe you could let's, just. Let's do that offline. Okay? Send me I'll an email you. like with instructions. I'm going to tell you about how, how it goes down. It's, All right. You're going to love this, man. <laughs> I mean, it sounds kind of scary. I mean, I think it's scary. Yeah. Oh, it's cool. Um, we've seen a bunch of sonograms now. So I, I keep showing these to like my older relatives and they're like, you can see the baby's face. Like I, I made the joke to my wife. It's like every three weeks we go in and have a Zoom call with the baby. Wow. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, that's the frequency of the sonogram. You're getting the free hour version of that. Yeah. Like it's a real trip and we don't know gender yet, but everybody has assumed a particular gender. And, and is starting to like use pronouns about the baby around us. And we're like, what are you doing? Wow. We don't know. You don't know. You know less than we do. I've seen the nest you're making and it's just gray onesies mm-hmm. and gray yeah. drapes and uh, <laughs> gray paint. Bland gray baby toys for bland gray babies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a trip where, uh, you know, there's going to be whole new segments on this show about the horrible bits I inflict on this child over the course of its life. Finally, some new content (laughs) for the show. (laughs) Did you do it for the content, Ben? Yeah, this is kind of the ultimate premise walk in a way. I mean, uh, that makes the baby a business expense, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I gotta get in touch with our uh, our bookkeeper and tell him to to get ready to start writing some shit off, man. <laughs> wow, wow, Ben, I am so happy for you guys, and I know I've been doing a lot of joking about this circumstance so far, but I am so sure that you and your wife are going to be the best parents. That is a very lucky kid. Ah, oh, thanks, man. And uh, I'm excited to see. What happens to your life as a result <laughs> of this? <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, like the knowing that it is unimaginable on the other side of August yeah. thing has been really tripping me out lately. And I think I'm a little bit paralyzed. Like I, a lot of people I know that have gone through this, like spent the pregnancy period, like reading up and, and like preparing and like mm-hmm. getting stuff. And like we have like... <laughs> <laughs> we're just like i don't know i think uh my wife read like half of one book and i got a book recommendation but i haven't actually gone and gotten the book. Mm. <laughs> well i feel like a lot of advice that i would have for you ben and i do have a lot mm-hmm. would come from my experience having a puppy so i think yeah. maybe like the the first piece of advice i'd give you it you know after getting as much sleep as you can right now while you can right yeah i uh, just get a bunch of tarps 
<laughs> Get a bunch of tarps and lay them yeah. down. Yeah. And uh, any broken pussy can be repaired by, <laughs> by a combination of surgery and medication. Just take that baby into the vet. <laughs> That's a reference to my puppy's broken dog pussy. Not a, not a reference to your wife, I guess. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Well, I was talking about the baby. I mean, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, I mean, I don't think we've had a Marin as significant as the one we've just had on the show today, Ben. It can't be topped. Yeah, and few episodes of Voyage are more significant than the one we came to talk about today. Should we get into it? Yeah, let's do it, Ben. It's uh, Star Trek Voyager Season 3, Episode 26, Scorpion. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> we open with one of the briefest cold opens in Star Trek history. I think we get like 22 seconds of cold open before we're in the theme. It's just two Borg's cubes getting shut the fuck down. We've never seen two cubes at the same time, right? Oh, I feel like this is significant for that reason also. Like, it's always right. ever one. Yeah, but it's so freaking big. Yeah. I feel like two makes them look little. It's true. Yeah, you got to go to the wide angle lens. Yeah, yeah. They just blow up, and then we're in the theme. When we come back, we're deep in the past with the unmistakable voice of Jonathan Reese davies Kikatsu! <laughs> My wife and I were at uh, Disneyland not that long ago, and we rode the Indiana Jones ride. Oh, fun. And when you're in line for that, there's a video package that plays with JRD as a part of it, you know, playing his character, Sala. Oh, man. Yeah. And it's on a loop. <laughs> it's like 20 seconds. It's like a safety video, basically. Right. But he is such a delight as Sala. Yeah. So entertaining and charismatic that you can be in this line- watching this video 27 times in a row, and it doesn't get old. He's great. And I was delighted to see him in this episode. You're not preoccupied with it being a little bit weird that a English actor is playing this role. Not at all. <laughs> you could try to extinguish my joy here, Ben. Yeah. But I like his work. We just watched um, Last Crusade the other night over here. Oh. Yeah, we had some friends over. We watched Last Crusade with their teenage son. He was delighted by it. What an interesting choice of Indiana Jones movies. Like, to virtually pull one off the shelf and play it. I'm not sure that would be yeah. my or anyone's first choice. I think they were working their way through, and mm -hmm. it came up, and I was like, come over here. We got a nice TV. Watch it on our screen. Yeah. And so we had like a dinner and a movie. Yeah. It was fun. Indiana Jones always has a death more gruesome than you would expect from a Spielberg <laughs> movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the promise of an Indiana Jones film. He is not playing Saleh in this scene. He's playing Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah. He is building a mechanical arm to jack himself off. <laughs> Maravilloso. I thought the same thing, Ben. I don't know how you can make and film this robotic arm doing what it's doing and not recognize that he's created mankind's first handjob device. Every blacksmith who has ever swung your ammo will thank me for this creation. Yeah, a clockwork jerk-off robot. <laughs> and uh, Janeway looks at this thing with a straight face. <laughs> oh, it was gorgeousness and gorgeousity made flesh. Yeah, she's helping him repair it. Get your hands away from that. You don't know where that's been, Janeway. Unfortunately, it's broken almost immediately. Yeah. And this is deeply disappointing to Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah. He's pretty much inconsolable, so she just leaves and turns off the holodeck program. <laughs> Wait until you see what the other arm is programmed to do, Janeway. <laughs> <laughs> It's just reaching around. Yeah. <laughs> so, so she's kind of applying for an apprenticeship here. She'd like to help him on his design of a flying machine based not off a bat, but off a hawk. Janeway's like, do you have anything designed without 
repetitive motion. Because <laughs> she she gestures broadly toward his weird flying machines, and all of them are like, you know, pumping and gyroscoping yeah. and like flapping and whatnot. It's a bunch of flying machines that all have a Sibian at the <laughs> core of their design. <laughs> yeah, uh, LDV not interested in those designs at all. <laughs> A hawk does not make this gesture. <laughs> yeah. You shall not have a workbench in my in my shop. Yeah, and that's the thrust of the whole thing, right? Like Janeway wants a space to do creative work in her life. And I think this is an interesting character development for her. A very different energy from the Bronte novel that she's yeah. hung out in in previous iterations of her holodeck me time it seems like a bodice won't be ripped if not for a robotic arm doing it you know Esatto. <laughs> very different kind of bodice ripper is what this program suggests yeah you might have to get some old liberty insurance to keep those robots again away from your bodices they eat them for fuel right i don't even know why the scientists make them i would like to be inspired by watching you create jack-off machines for your entire career (laughs) (laughs) she gets called away to engineering where chakotay and blt have some bad news for her they shot a long-range probe out a long time ago just to kind of get a sense of the space ahead of them And they get to watch like the last few moments of the dash cam video from this probe as it pulls up on a cube, gets hauled inside and gets looked at by a Borg drone. And we are in a McLaughlin group before you know it. Issue one. I love the sequence of this video. This is really well done. The cut (laughs) to the interior, the cut to a drone working on it. This is such a densely paced episode. So much shit happens in this episode. This McLaughlin group is where they talk about like, listen, we knew this was coming. We knew that Borg space was in between where we came into the Delta Quadrant and home. The only way home is through this. There's no going around it. But it's it's a big area of space. Thousands of star systems. Chakotay is ready for this presentation because he brings a graphic to illustrate his point. He's like, well, everyone knows that taking on the Borgs head-on is good for a season finale, but what my theory presupposes is we can increase the tension by going where the cubes aren't. And he gestures toward this (laughs) middle area where all of the green cube pictures are absent. It seems like they're very much clustered up around it, though. Yeah, yeah, they're right (laughs) on the edge. Yeah. This is a, a region of space that they're calling the Northwest Passage, and it's a messy part of space. It's shitty. The passage is filled with intense gravimetric distortions, probably caused by a string of quantum singularities. But it's got the advantage of being Borgs free. Chicote is like, uh, interesting name for this. My people were very familiar <laughs> with this idea. <laughs> They go around the room and everybody's talking about kind of preparations they're making. Harry Kim has modified the sensors to detect transwarp conduits. Neelix is working on new strategies for making people even more miserable about what they have to eat on board. Doesn't all of this feel fairly impotent, though, given what we know about the Borgs at this point? Like... These crew people are doing the best they can, but like this is still a moment in Star Trek where this is an unstoppable force. Yeah. And the best they can do is delay the inevitable. Yeah. And the sense here is that Captain Janeway is kind of trying to motivate them by saying, we're going to do our best to get through this. But she almost never captains like this. The like, we're going to get this done no matter what. That tone feels really new from her. I really like the direction by David Livingston here because Janeway begins her concluding statement at the McLaughlin group, but then there's a camera move that begins halfway through that kind of emphasizes how much confidence she has in everyone. Yeah. I think it's really well done. I do too. The doc's idea for what he can do to prepare is some kind of like assimilation vaccine. Right. I've analyzed every square millimeter of the Borg corpse we recovered three months ago. He's really been like getting his mind around how assimilation works. And we cut to kind of a, like a montage of the prep getting done, like everybody getting themselves ship shape. And the montage lands us in six bay where the doc has just like a bunch of 
Borg's corpse pieces out on the table and is talking about the tubules that a Borg puts in your neck to start the assimilation process. No one asks the doctor why he just cut apart the Borg's body. <laughs> is it easier to store that way? Yeah, I mean, he just has only so much drawer space, you know. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Really bad look for Cass in this scene because, you know, they're talking about the potential for a Borg's vaccine and Cass is like, I don't know. I've been doing my own research on the subject and I, <laughs> I just feel like maybe we should study this a little bit longer. Hey, hey, Doc, what about my natural immunity? <laughs> you know what? I was thinking about just getting assimilated and then uh, and then just beating it through a force of will, like a combination yeah. of a sauna and uh, <laughs> and this green juice. Yeah. She's like, and if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. <laughs> but then like she makes like a Facebook live when she's actually in the ICU and it's like, yeah, yeah. uh oh. Kess sees a vision here of a Borg's pile. And yeah. ordinarily, I feel like this vision would be a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, great. Yeah. Hey, pile of Borgs. Rad. I've got a premonition of a bunch of dead Borgs. This is good. <laughs> but she does not seem happy about what she's seen at all. No. And strangely, Tuvok is the one that kind of comes up to the bridge to report on this. There's a very big ellipsis here where presumably he's been called down to like talk to uh -huh. her. She's had a bunch more visions and he's up in the bridge telling the captain and Chakotay about what's going on with her. You see these signs posted all around Voyager. If you see something in the future, say something <laughs> in the present. Yeah. So he's kind of going over this vision of the future that includes many faces of Borg's death, but also the destruction of Voyager. Yeah, so a little bit of good news, a little bit of bad news, I guess. <laughs> they're, they're like, well, we're not going to change our plan. And just as they're saying this, 15 Borg's cubes suddenly come out of transwarp and are incoming and their warp engines die. <laughs> I always wonder about moments like this in a script and on a TV show. Like, how do you get to this number? Because you could use any number. Yeah. How is 15 different from seven? How is 15 different from 29? Right. 15 is such an interesting choice. Maybe that's like how much they had the capacity to do on the render farm. Yeah. In the time they had to finish the production. It's a terrifying amount of Borg's cubes, that's for sure. And they just tumble out of warp. Yeah. And they're close. You know, the ship is is rocking. We get the like aft view up on the view screen of just a cloud of Borg's vessels coming at them. And it seems like it kind of like blows the ship around. Like as they zoom past, it seems like the Voyager is like caught in eddy forces. It's wild how inspired this moment was from Dances with Wolves, where uh, Kevin Costner <laughs> is like in the middle of that buffalo stampede. They even play the music <laughs> during. <laughs> yeah. What'd you think of that uh, scanning beam? That was cool. Yeah, I like that effect a lot. But like, it was also neat that one of them turns away from the herd, does the scan, and then goes back into the flock. Yeah. It's like, eh, we'll deal with that later. Yeah. I love the vibe in the aftermath. What the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> this is like the cleaning lady in Ghostbusters having her shit blown up. Yeah. They've been left alone. No damage. Warp engines are back as quickly as they went away. Yeah. Stand down red alert. Are you kidding me? What the hell are you doing? <laughs> What is the problem with maybe just an all-time red alert from this point on? We're like backing it off to yellow just for <laughs> like while we kind of get a, our heads around what we've just been through. I feel like there's a video game reason why you don't want to be on red or yellow alert all the time. You're consuming uh -oh. some kind yeah. of energy resource, yeah. but mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. If they need a valor surge later, they they don't want to <laughs> they don't want to keep the R3 button pushed down now. Good call. Janeway is like, all right, I'm going to be in my ready room doing research because now is when I will start doing research on the Borgs. Yeah. Borg homework really takes it out of Janeway. She is 
burning the candle at both ends when Chicote comes in and is like, hey, what about a dinner date? And she's like, got a lot of work to do. I see. You fucked up, Chicote. You didn't bring the flower. Yeah. Got to bring the flower, man. Yeah. He did that exactly once, walking through the bridge carrying a flower, and then he knew, big mistake. (laughs) Kim's counting him off. One, three, 15 carnations, Chicote. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of carnations. So what she's reading are the accounts of every Starfleet captain that's ever come across the Borgs, and she quotes... Picard, she quotes another captain. She's trying to get some insights here. Chakotay is like, hey, you know, we could just not go through Borg space. Like, there's probably unexplored parts of the Delta Quadrant. Maybe we could find a way to get home that, you know, leapfrogs it somehow. You know what sounds so much better than dying by assimilation? Dropping that Brody into a hot, bubbly tub and... (laughs) Letting me massage those shoulders. Just get the tension right out of you. Those boobs look like they might need a massage too. What? It's nothing to be ashamed about. What do you what do you think? The the JC vibes in this scene are really intense, right? They are super intense. You're not alone, Catherine. I mean, as present as those feelings are in this scene, what is absent is the dread of a Borg encounter. Like what goes unsaid here is, is Janeway is reading stuff from captains who lost to the Borg. All yeah. of them. They all lost. And yeah. they're and except for Picard, they're probably all dead. Yeah. And there's nothing useful to read here, I think. And I think it would have been interesting to understand a bit better why Janeway believes she can succeed where Literally every other captain she's reading about has failed. That's never a part of this conversation. And I think it's a part of what Chakotay should say as support for his argument. Yeah. I mean, instead of trying to support his argument, he's just trying to support her in this scene. And that's really appreciated in this moment. She says this thing about, like, I didn't know you from Adam three years ago. Now I can't imagine not having you at my side for something like this. But they get interrupted because they get some news. Those 15 Borg ships, they've lost their readings on them. And so they warp over to where those Borg ships blinked out on their instruments. And when they drop out of warp, it is Borg 359. It's like the aftermath of a goth kid's birthday party. Just ripped (laughs) open black cubes. Mommy and Daddy did not get me the candle I wanted. (laughs) More eyeliner. Sweet. (laughs) So, yeah, they're like, what could do this? This is a lot. And uh, they come up to a larger chunk of Borg Cube that has something alive near it. And yeah. they get this up on, on view screen. It's a, uh, a biological starship from, from what they can tell. We've seen biological starships before. I mean, notably Tin Man. Tin Man. Mm. But it's interesting how non-biological this biological starship looks, right? Yeah. It's got a lot more starshipiness to it, I guess. Yeah. I guess it's brown is like the thing that <laughs> looks biological about it. <laughs> That's the one thing about it. It looks like a ship in every other way. Yeah. Except it's brown. And it doesn't respond to their hails or their scans at all, so... They can't penetrate it. They want to get a closer look at it, so Janeway sends Chakotay, Tuvok, and Kim over in an away team to do a close-range scan. This is an insane idea, right? See if they can see something close up that the ship can't detect from far away. Per our previous conversation, Chakotay... (laughs) (laughs) We're going to see where the support rubber meets the support road right now. (laughs) I felt like this is a death sentence. This is so dangerous. It's very scary. Every time Starfleets go over to a Borg ship, it's very scary. And it's that like you're in a haunted house where the occupants are walking around ignoring you until they decide not to. Yeah. This place is a tomb. 
Places it too. It almost goes without saying, except mm. for the Borgs doing repairs and that other one rhythmically moving like one of Da Vinci's jack-off machines, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, why is he trying to assimilate the ship like that? And he's like <laughs> doing like cow milking motions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Looks like he's trying to assimilate that dick. <laughs> Assimilate me, Daddy. <laughs> they find a hurl in the side of the Borg ship that leads right into the biological ship. Captain, permission to go inside. Granted. Interesting design here, right? Like in the H.R. Geiger tradition. Yeah. The idea of a living ship has been seen in science fiction before. This is a new spin on it. Yeah. it. You know, interestingly, like the Borg have some H.R. Giger energy as well, but I feel like they kind of, like they are kind of hard to the technical side of the yeah. H.R. Giger energy and the interior of this ship is hard to the biological side. Right. Where it's like, it's all ribs and spinal column looking shapes. Yeah, I mean, they're finding, like, fluids moving around, but also computer circuitry sharing the yeah. same space. Kess, meanwhile, sees Harry Kim's death. Harry Kim has been left on the Borg ship to download, like, tactical data from the computer, and it's just Tuvok and Chakotay on the bio ship. I hate this. Like, I think you got to go over with an even number of Dustbuster Club members because- Use the buddy system. So important. One Ensign Kim is none. Yeah. And two is one, right? And Kess sees Harry Kim's death, which just makes me even more concerned. Yeah. Yeah. And Kim is like doing the one thing that's going to get noticed by the Borgs, right? He's, he's messing around with the tax documents. Yeah. And waving his gun around every time he hears something go bump. Yeah. Ugh, it's just a squicky feeling. And they, they come across that Borg's pile that Kess saw in a vision, right? Yeah. Did you see how they made this? No. This is a pile of action figures. Oh, wow. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So it's it's comped into the scene, huh? Yeah. Wow, fun. When they're When they're all dead and like partially decomposed, I think that really works. Like you don't need an actor wearing makeup. The yeah. plastic action figure is all you need. And they're all melted into each other like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So when Kess gets her vision of Harry Kim death. She tells the doc, the doc radios it up to the bridge and they're like, okay, we got to get them out of there. And the captain radios to them to let them know, but uh, they can't get a lock. Like the uh, transporter is all of a sudden not working. And Harry Kim is looking at his tricorders readings and he's like, something's moving in here, man. And it ain't us. <laughs> when BLT can't get the transporter to work, the look that Janeway gives her is so withering. <laughs> did you watch this take? Like, did you did you look at her during? I've never seen Kate Mulgrew do this before, and yeah. I was totally there for it. It's really a, like, maybe you're not chief engineer material yeah. kind of look. <laughs> <laughs> and BLT's plan B is to lock onto the bones. She says, this might work. You know what's going to happen if it doesn't work, Ben? You're just going to beam back bones. Yeah. And then you're yeah. going to leave like gelatinous skin over there <laughs> on the Borg ship. Do you think that's going to be useful to the Borgs? Could they assimilate that and make a drone out of you? Hmm. Yeah, just the goo. It might even make it easier for them. Yeah, they just beam in metal bones. Yeah. Yeah, they'll get you up on a table and they'll sort of inflate you and then they'll put metal rods inside. <laughs> This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So while BLT is working on this, the OA team is kind of moving through the ship, trying to get away from whatever is moving around in there with them. And this is when they come across a couple of Borg drones getting taken out by this creature. It like bursts through a wall. It bonks these Borgs. Just punches them, really. Yeah. It's not shooting a ray at them or anything. No. No, it really packs a wallop. Yeah. It's got that super strength. Yeah. 
one of those moments where you kind of wish they would do an HD remaster of Voyager just so that they could take another stab at some of the CG. Because you don't like the action and you don't like the glance. Yeah, the glance makes it look a little bit silly and not scary in a way that I think it needed to look. I wonder how much they considered, you know, going full alien here and just not revealing the thing at all. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like this is right in that like post Jurassic Park CG yeah. heyday where they're just like, we're putting full CG characters in everything. And yeah. we don't really care that they don't look that good yet. <laughs> no. No, this is their best effort. And yeah. You know, they're able to to beam away the Dustbuster Club, bones, skin, and all. Yeah, but not before Harry Kim gets punched in the gut by this thing. Yeah. Yeah, and contemporaneously, this bioship powers up. Yeah, it powers up weapons. Kess is seeing visions of the creature that they encountered. The bioship is like licking shots at them and, and the bangers are like really, really intense. But uh, just by the skin of his teeth, Tom Paris is able to warp them out of there. I love the moment where the beam hits Voyager. Like one shot really rocks the ship. Yeah. It does not look like they'll be able to warp away at all. It looks like a leaf in the wind when, uh, yeah. when that happens. As they kind of catch their breath once they've gone to warp, Cass is telling the captain about the telepathic experience she had with the pilot of the bio ship. That's what they're referring to this guy as. Yeah. And uh, it does not seem like a nice character. They're a telepathic species and they've been kind of on the fringes of her awareness for a while. Captain, it's not the Borg that we should be worried about. It's them. What did it say to you? The weak will perish. That's like the opposite of what Jesus said. <laughs> yeah. It's weird, right? How people speak for him, saying yeah. things he would never say. Yeah. Weird. Hmm. Can Kess still freshen people up? Yeah. Could she freshen this guy up? I'm only asking because it sure seems like you need to bring all of your defenses to bear against this two-pronged threat, this Klingon dick of threats. <laughs> like I'd want to know if if we could weaponize Kess for some freshen ups if we had to, but yeah, it seems like that's a callback that hasn't been done in quite a while. That would have been nice in the McLaughlin group if they'd been going around like you know Tuvok <laughs> saying like I'm got the shields and the phasers modulating, the doctor saying his thing about the vaccine, Kess saying I've been working on freshening stuff up, I'm getting a lot better at it. Janeway's holding a mug of coffee and then puts it up to her lips and she's like, ooh, you're right. <laughs> nice work, Kes. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code scarves to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose. 
that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. We come back from a commercial break and the captain is doing a captain's log as she walks down to Six Bay, where Harry Kim is out on a bio bed with a very, very, very upsetting growth on his face. Yeah, he looks like he fell face first in a pan of lasagna after the cheese has been nicely broiled. You like your lasagna? Yeah, he looks ultra nasty. He looks like that Borgs that they found on the ship earlier, covered with that that lasagna cheese. Yeah, the doc says basically this is metabolizing him from the inside this is just like a few cells from that alien's fist and uh it's eating him alive the infection is spreading you can't even like anesthetize harry to like take the pain away harry is just like lying in excruciating agony that is such a vivid description that they use on this show it's really well done yeah yeah. At a cellular level, this life form is just destroying everything it touches. It's, it sounds awful. And the doc does have an idea for how to cure him. It has to do with Borg's nanoprobes. Yeah, because they're, they're immune to Borg's nanoprobes right now. But since the doc has been studying them with the idea of making some kind of nanoprobe vaccine, he's figured out a way to cloak the nanoprobes to the cells of this alien so that it, the, the alien cells assume that the nanoprobes are, are friendlies. Kess takes great umbrage with this. She's like, now look, we don't know what Kim's wishes are here. <laughs> and I don't know how he'd feel about getting some sort of vaccine to protect the rest <laughs> of the crew from whatever this thing that he's got is. I don't think we should just assume that he would want this. Yeah. Yeah. What right do we have to force this on a crew member? You know, I've been doing some research on ancient Earth woman Terry Shivo, and I'd like to. <laughs> they're like, Jesus Christ, you're bringing her into this? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a race against time vibe here, right? Because this thing is is moving fairly quickly, and the doc needs time to study this new cure, if it is a yeah. cure at all. Modifying the probes takes time, and he just doesn't know if he has time to modify enough to make a difference before Harry is gone. I think it's really notable at the end of this scene that we get real tears out of the corner of Harry Kim's eyes. And I mean, this is obviously a, a callback to Picard's assimilation, where you yeah. see the, the tear out of the corner of his eye, which I think represents the only two examples of traumatically cried tears in Star Trek. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like this is like a notable 
yeah. visual that Star Trek only deploys when absolutely necessary. Yeah, it is very upsetting. It's very apt that you compare it to Picard going through that. I feel like it feels very similar. Totally unnecessary is them tracking the camera down Kim's body to kind of his waist area and the mm. and the growing mm. dark spot there. <laughs> yeah. Like, give him some dignity, guys. Like, he's really going through a lot. Everybody my age pees their pants. It's the coolest. Really? Yes! Down in Engineering, BLT is reporting on the data that Harry was able to get off the Borg's cube. And she's saying this is referred to by the Borgs as species 8472. And they say in the information here that the only species that's worse is species 55378008. Because if you turn the <laughs> calculator... <laughs> <laughs> Am I making any sense here? So once they get past that, uh, they're talking about how the Borg just like can't even wrap their minds around these guys because they can't assimilate them and therefore they don't know anything about them. Yeah. And uh, as they're processing this, they uh, they get to the Northwest Passage and find that it is just flooded with bioships. I'm detecting 133 bioships. More are approaching. Yeah, that's the reason the Borgs have kept a wide berth. The bioships are coming out of a quantum singularity, Ben. Mm. I mean, anytime the word quantum is ascribed to a singularity, I think you could infer maybe a time travel aspect to it. Time travel. Maybe. Oh. I mean, it's not chronometric particles, but yeah, quantum in, involves like uh, a multiverse. Does suggestion? Does it not? Yeah, and Chakotay asks about that, like, because because Cass seems to be the person that has the most understanding of what's going on, and he's yeah. like, "Are they coming from a parallel universe?" And she's like, "I don't know. It's just not like here." Can you scan the singularity and find the timeline where Chakotay is in a bathtub? with Janeway (laughs) and is there a way that you could maybe like even if you have to lock onto my bones just sort of beam me over there in the place of the Chakotay that's in that timeline I want the one specifically where he's moved on from the shoulder rub and he's kind of rubbing other stuff now (laughs) sounds great (laughs) (laughs) yeah and Cass cannot be distracted by this request because she finally gets a feeling for what these bio ships are onto. Yeah. They really hate everything. They just, they hate everything that isn't them. I hate you fucking people. I hate you. Yeah. I mean, they hate vaccines most of all, but uh, they also want to invade. <laughs> yeah. And you know, when you're in the anti-vax crowd and you start to realize who else is in the anti-vax crowd, <laughs> like Species Apes <laughs> 472, you would hope that that would give some people pause, but- no. Unfortunately not. Yeah. I mean, no one wants to look wrong. Yeah. No one wants to feel like they've made a mistake. No. So Janeway orders the ship out of there. This is a huge bummer, right? They were planning on taking this passage. Yeah. And now it's blocked by these bio ships. And uh, Janeway's got to just have a bum out moment in her ready room. And she calls Chakotay in with her where they, uh, they rap about the possible plan ahead. They have basically three options, like get killed by the Borgs, get killed by Species 8472, or give up entirely. Or or chest massage. Yeah. <laughs> so four <laughs> options. No, I'm saying three. Like die by assimilation, die by Species 5471, or, or just like a lifetime of hot tubbing mm-hmm. and exploring each other's birdies. <laughs> I don't want to like guide you in a specific direction, Captain, but like given those choices, what would you say (laughs) about a lot of bubble bath? And Janeway's like, there's got to be some other alternative. We have to find it. (laughs) It's not said, but it seems like Janeway has made her decision. She's just not ready to tell the crew that it is tub time. Yeah. So it's a, we'll tell the crew in the morning but I'm just going to have a dark night of the soul in between now and then. Right. Yeah. She's not going to be able to sleep, though. No. She's not the only person having a dark night of the soul. Da Vinci's having one, too. Maybe consulting someone who has a variety of masturbation devices (laughs) will finally help me chill out enough to fall asleep. 
She finds him in his workshop with a whole bunch of metal apparatuses in between uh, some candles and the wall. And he's like, this is what passes for a tax documents folder in my time. <laughs> doesn't, like he's playing with hand puppets, like, doesn't this look like a bunny? <laughs> and doesn't this look like a pair of big round breasts? <laughs> <laughs> I took the liberty of drawing a hot tub. <laughs> You're like, why does everybody want me to get into a hot tub today? Somehow I don't think that's going to work for me. He is tripping balls in this scene. He really is. Pretend it's not happening. But he's not so far gone that Janeway doesn't ask him advice. Yeah, and she has to kind of ask it in the argot of his time. She can't talk about Borgs and species and stuff, but... uh you know, she says, like, the path ahead of me is fraught on both sides. I'm in between what you could call a rock and a hard place. It's like the jack-off machine ahead of me I could die using, but I could also die in some other way, masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see an alternative. Period appropriate, I imagine. He suggests that she appeal to a divine authority right. for inspiration. If your imagination fails, ask God for his imagination. And Janeway rejects this out of hand, but then comes up with the idea of maybe I can appeal to the devil instead. I love this. I knew Janeway worshipped the devil. There's coffee in the devil. Yeah. Fucking A, man. Hell yeah. Do you want to come to my birthday party next year? Hey, you know who's got a lot of weird machines? Me, Beazelbub. <laughs> my mom doesn't like me calling myself that, but I'm going to get my name changed when I turn 18. More like Bejazzlebub. <laughs> Our course is locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. So we come back in media, McLaughlin group. Issue two. Yeah. And Tom Paris is taking great umbrage with the suggestion that Janeway has made off camera, which is, what if we bring the doctor's stealth nanoprobe tech to the Borgs? They can assimilate species 8472. And in return, maybe they'll let us get through here unscathed and unassimilated. An alliance with the Borg? More like... In exchange. Tuvok said the thought that I had in exactly the same moment. <laughs> I was like, why wouldn't the Borgs just take what the Voyagers got? <laughs> yeah. And Janeway ably retorts that, well, they couldn't take it because we're going to store it in Doc Holiday, and we'll just murder Doc Holiday if we have to. <laughs> and this is a plan that the Doc totally co-signs. You're my guarantee. Certainly. Yeah. She's like, it won't come to that, but uh, that's a lot of chutzpah to assume that they won't need to, right? Janeway has never been more casual. Like, she has not slept a wink last night, but you can tell she has gotten it out. Yeah. She is very chill. After all night spent in uh, Leonardo da Vinci's Palace of Pleasure. <laughs> A way to focus the mind. Yeah, she's really clockworked herself. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci has not found the secret of flight, but he has found where the clitoris is. Yeah, yeah. He's a genius in that way. <laughs> it's hot. So the bulk of the crew having their marching orders leave the room, but Chakotay stays behind to register a complaint, <laughs> and he registers it in the form of the scorpion on the back of the fox parable. Right. Hence the title of the episode. We know this story intimately. We do. And uh, Janeway does not <laughs> Janeway does not suggest that she's heard it before. She lets Chakotay tell the story. Chakotay is a great storyteller. That's why. Yeah. Doesn't really give the sense that she is down to be condescended to like this, though. Right. I like this for Beltran, though, because they give him the oneer. Like, they start wide, they push in on him, and then they end wide again. Yeah. Or maybe it's the opposite of that. But they, like, give him a nice sequence to tell the story at. They do. And 
I think that this scene is very much the climax of the episode for me. Oh, I think the climax occurred in the holodeck then. <laughs> Actually, many climaxes. Obviously, Janeway busted tons of nut in the yeah. holodeck. She's taken Riker's mantle and run with it. No way. She set the record. Yeah. I mean, Riker has a refractory period. Janeway does not. Yeah. She uh, really argues vehemently for her position here, which is that there's a, a passage in one of the Starfleet captain's logs about how the Borgs are the most evil species, but like species 8472 feels like even eviler somehow. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like there is one thing that I kind of wish they'd spent a little bit more time on in the scene, which is that what Janeway is proposing here is enabling the Borgs to commit xenocide <laughs> miriam atrocities evermore yeah we'd be helping the borg assimilate yet another species just to get ourselves back home it's wrong i i'm with you ben i love this scene this is my favorite scene in the episode and it's because of how hard janeway and chakotay argue their their points yeah it's really intense and it does not really feel very resolved at the end like she has made her decision and is arguing that he needs to stand up and support her basically in this scene what I don't like about this scene is that like Janeway makes this argument about his lack of trust in her instead of having a different opinion about strategic advice. And I feel like that's really manipulative in a fucked up way. Yeah. Like we're making fun of how all Chakotay wants to do is massage those boobies. Yeah. And that's why he's offering this counter proposal as a strategy. But that's not in this scene at all. Like it really is Chakotay's belief that strategically... It may be best not to engage. Giving a new weapon to the Borg is like a terrible and yeah. potentially catastrophic idea. Yeah. And Janeway's like heartbroken about this, like because she's made this argument about loyalty instead of strategy. And it becomes like a heavy lies the crown moment for her. Like I'm right. I'm alone at the lead of this ship and I don't really have somebody that has my back 100%. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the scene, Chakotay reaffirms his position in the chain of command and the ship pulls up to a Borg star system where there are Borg planets and cubes just like floating around all over the place. Couldn't you have spent so long here in like multiple establishing shots? I wanted yeah. to see every angle of this system. <laughs> I wanted to see a ringed planet, but the ring on the planet was all Borgsy. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah. They pull up to a cube and get hailed, and it's the, you know, boilerplate Borg meeting somebody that they intend to assimilate stuff. We are the Borg. You will be assimilated. Pretty quickly, though, Janeway is beamed over to the Borg ship to confer with the big empty room that yeah. we've seen before. I was wondering if the tractor beam was extracting one of the bathrooms from Deck 3 while this was happening. Boy, they're really going to miss that bathroom if so. Yeah. We get the scene where ne negotiations are opened up with Janeway and the Borgs. And the Borgs initially just want her to pay first and trust them. And she's like, not going to happen, guys. Yeah. What she's proposing is she will give the information to them after they've safely traversed Borg space. The Borg have a great point about this. They're like, that's going to take too long. We're like, yeah. our shit is going to be dead by then. Yeah. But also they make the case that Species 8472 is here to kill the whole galaxy. Like they're coming through these quantum fissures and they're not going to stop until everybody is dead. Mm -hmm. And that is a an interesting framing that I don't think that I had really considered in the argument between Janeway and Chakotay earlier, like the idea that this is a galaxy level existential threat. Right. And that the only way to stop it is to kill species 8472. It's the sort of threat you could construct an entire season of Star Trek Discovery around. You really could. Yeah. What does this involve? DMA! It seems like they're really getting somewhere before the bangers start. Yeah. A bunch of bioships come out of another quantum butthole and they like link up and Alderan, the Borg's planet, yeah. and the exploding planet is like damaging the cube. It's dropping bangers on Voyager. 
It's destroying other cubes as the debris cloud explodes outward. As wonky as some of the effects have been in this episode, this one was first rate. Yeah, it was really great. I mean, the end of the episode is literally just the cube escaping barely with Voyager in its tractor beam. Yeah. And we get a to-be-continued card up on screen. I really love that they're tethered together. The suggestion being that they're stuck in whatever the circumstance is together. Yeah. yeah. It's like being handcuffed to the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. It's like doing a potato sack race with a bad guy. Hmm. You're not going to win that race. No. Bad guy's going to fuck you up every single time. Yeah. Unless you give the bad guy the code to genetically compromise species 8472. Did you like this episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. Ben, I love this episode. It was, I mean, breakneck pace throughout. One thing I did not like, though, mm. is that when you hire a Jonathan Reese Davies and you don't have him bellow at someone, <laughs> what are you even hiring him for? He's one of the great bellowers in the game. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. yell at anyone in this episode. It's sad. It's really sad. So, yeah, just a ton in the pro column. That check mark in the con column. Yeah. Need more bellowing. What about you, Ben? No episode is perfect, Adam. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I liked this episode a lot, too. I mean, it felt like a more contemporary version of Trek in terms of its pacing. I was, like, scrambling to keep up writing notes and mm -hmm, watching mm -hmm. it. And I think that they did a good job designing a scary species that doesn't... That feels, like, somewhat inspired by the xenomorphs, but not mm -hmm. a direct ripoff in any way. And yeah, like the the stuff with Kess. It's got to be hard when the best thing's already been made. Yeah. It just can't be topped. It really can't. It's so good. And yeah, like it does kind of feel like Xenomorph versus Borg is kind of the, mm -hmm. the conflict that has been set up there. Yeah. So yeah, I really enjoyed the episode. Can't wait to see part two. And I think that that is uh, always our test in these two-parters is like, does it get you thirsty for the next part? The best part of Greatest Gen is that we don't have to wait an entire summer to watch and now the conclusion the conclusion will be next week yeah right here on this podcast yeah for right now we've got to go read some priority one messages ben wanna get over on there i do priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel need a supplemental income supplemental income supplemental supplemental yeah it's extra but the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship Adam, our first Priority One message is of a promotional nature, and it is from Dan. Goes like this. Just finished DS9. Quark was the best part. And F Wharf forever. Wow. Now starting on Voyager. Thank you guys for helping me enjoy the turkeys. I'll need it as we're approaching the app where Janeway meets her spirit lizard. Hmm. It broke all sci-fi everywhere for me, and it took years to recover. I'd like to plug my sister's podcast, Scandalous Diamonds. Dana and Jen discuss Jackie Collins novels, dating disasters, and whatever's making them laugh. So subscribe to Scandalous Diamonds wherever you get your podcasts. God, if your podcast is about Jackie Collins novels, that's a thousand episode run you've got there. Yeah. Jackie Collins, a very prolific author. Yeah. Cool. For real. Oh, and dating disasters, I guess, depending on who you are. Yeah. Probably have a thousand of those. Yeah. I only have like a couple, but I feel like I could podcast pretty much ad infinitum about how disastrous they were. <laughs> you know what? It always feels like an ad infinitum amount yeah. Yeah. of disasters when it's to you personally, huh? Well, if you like those novels or you just like laughing and listening to stories about dating disasters, check out Scandalous Diamonds. Not a turkey in the bunch, I bet. No. All good. Ben, our second priority one message is from Wesley. It is to Eleanor. That message goes like this. Happy birthday, Ellie. I'm sending this in September 2021. So instead of the embroidered pillow, I'm getting Adam or Ben to say... You are not responsible for anyone else's feelings. I love you. I'm glad you're my sister. 
and that we get to bond over Trek and our mom's irrational hatred of Major Kira. Whoa. BNA, please give us a Chris Brenner drop. I'm Chris Brenner. Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. That Chris Brenner. <laughs> wow. Your mom is dead wrong about yeah. Major Kira. What the hell? I want to resist the instinct to just really go hard at Eleanor and Wesley's mom here. <laughs> I think we all know what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Wesley and Eleanor know how I feel. Yeah. What do you make of the significance of the requested date being uh, late May 2022 and Wesley saying that they're sending this in September of 2021? That must be a thing between Eleanor and Wesley, huh? Oh, yeah. I guess so. Because we're not that late with P1s. I just want to make that clear. Yeah. Our last P1 is from Zach Brager. It's to all Star Trek nerds everywhere. Goes like this. Was Guinan a villain of omission all along? If Q hadn't flung the entrepreneur to meet the Borg, wouldn't Voyager Season 3 Episode 1 have been first Borg contact? If so, Voyager wouldn't have the knowledge to defend themselves. Voyager would be assimilated. The Borg would fail to repel species 8472. And 8472 begins a galactic cleanse, which would include the Federation. Was Guinan okay with that? Guinan knows everything. Guinan knows the beginning and the end. Yeah. I think this is an interesting theory. Hmm. Villain of omission. I like that. I like that a lot. That's like yeah. a like a lie of commission versus omission. Yeah. Interesting theory by Zach Brager. I mean, she let things unfold the way they needed to. Sure. Maybe she had Nana Barati in the back <laughs> pocket. Like, hey, like worst case scenario, we can always get in touch with her. It's true. She's out there somewhere. Yeah. She's got that big, big old uh, goatsy spaceship. <laughs> He kicks yeah. ass with that thing. You don't want to put the goatee spaceship near the rings of Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, if you'd like to get a priority one message on the show, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Set it up today. We sure appreciate it. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Shimoda. I don't like to do this, but I think I'm going to give my Shimoda to Janeway herself. Wow. Just because she's got a ton of hubris for someone playing on a team that's never won. Like, <laughs> I'm putting an asterisk on Best of Both Worlds Part 2 because, right. like, that was unconventional warfare in a way that, like, <laughs> felt a little bit like cheating. Like right. in a straight up head to head matchup. Oh yeah, the part where uh, the ref said, "There's nothing in the rules that says a dog can't play basketball against the Borgs." Yeah, I mean it, it's like Washington Generals versus the Harlem Globetrotters. Like, <laughs> like that was the one game that the Generals won. Yeah. So it feels a little strange for Janeway to be making big money moves here strategically, given the track record of the Federation against the Borg. What about you? I'm going to give it to BLT. I don't, This is like a little bit unfair because I don't think it's entirely her fault. It seems like something that they came up with as a team and executed on. But the long range probe really seems to be her baby in this episode. And like they say it the second they start talking about it. Like now the Borg know we're here. Yeah. Yeah. Don't send it then. Yeah. <laughs> Either send a, a probe that is like, very, very surely not going to get discovered by the Borgs or don't send don't send one that's just like, hey, Federation vessel on its way from this direction. Send a probe that destroys itself. Yeah. If it contacts especially the Borg. If the Galactic Empire can come up with that for Hoth. Right. Can't the Voyager come up with that for the Dequad? Yeah, precisely. Probably not entirely her fault, but BLT gets my Shimoda award for that. Well, Ben, I have a guess about what the next episode is going to be about. But just to be <laughs> sure, I'm going to need to hear you tell me about its story capsule and uh, also where we're at on the game of Buttholes, the rule of the caretaker. Well, we are on square 48 
of the game of buttholes right in front of a space butthole that could take us down to a Coco Nono on row two, which we have hit recently. Just another legendary episode by yours truly. <laughs> that Coco Nono episode. Yeah. I mean, you still owe a Coco. You could have done the Coco Nono today. Yeah. It's like, like a thank you for supporting us on the drive kind of thing. Or Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely insufficiently grateful. You're right, Ben. Uh-huh. Asshole. Sort of seems that way. But uh, when, when I roll this bone, it will determine how we watch season four, episode one, Scorpion, part two. Captain Janeway forges an unlikely alliance with the Borg. Cap over. <laughs> wow. There it is. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. And I, Adam, have rolled a six. Which shot us past that space butthole, but did land us on a Quark's Bar episode on Square 54. Wow. So we do have a drunk episode next week. Okay. Hey, that'll be fun. That will be fun. Looking forward to a very, very big episode, a big cast shakeup next week. Yeah. So uh, looking forward to it. Me too. Thanks to everyone who listened and everyone who supported us in the drive at MaximumFun.org slash join. Got to thank our producer, Wendy Pretty, who uh, really is just making us look good out there. Doing a great job editing the shows and keeping us on schedule. Keeping the good ship Uxbridge Shimoda running. She's kind of the BLT in the engine room, making sure all the pistons are firing the right way. Thanks to everyone who came out to our show in Austin last week. Everyone knows the Boston show was the wine show. That Austin show, most definitely the beef show. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we've been having a great time on the Double Dumbass Tour. Uh, We got to thank Bill Tilly, our card daddy, who runs the social medias for us. He's uh, on there, at Greatest Trek, on Instagram and Twitter. Give those a follow. They're really fun. Yeah. He makes it so much fun to be a friend of DeSoto online. That's for sure. It should be a crime, man. We got to thank Nick Dittmore, who did our show art and helps us with all the graphic design stuff here at Uxbridge Shimoda. And we got to thank Adam Ragusea, who made our original theme song, the Janeway song, basing his work off Dark Materia's original Picard song. Look at us, overflowing with gratitude. Gratitude is all up in our attitude, and we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that is dissimilating. Mm. Assimilating to dissimilating? I'm going to have to stock up on my alcoholic beverages. <laughs> oh, yeah. And my brode. We're going to be slurring our dissimilation. Yeah, that's a great word for a drunk. <laughs> Shimoda time? Yep. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.